Hello, everyone. It's the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you're here. Listen now to guest Ronnie Hill. He travels the world spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, you got a good group of students. Just want you to know I've had an awesome time with them this weekend at D-Now. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing y'all again in the future. I want to introduce to you, I told you students I would bring my wife today. That's my bride right over there on the front row. Uh, my wife is Jennifer. We've been married now for 22 years. And we have a son named Jake who is a freshman at Baylor. So uh, working on his uh, biblical archaeology. He wants to uh, be a biblical archaeologist. So he's majoring, double majoring in religion and anthropology. So um, it's good to see everybody here. Uh, a lot of you don't know my story. The students do. Uh, they've been with me at camp and stuff too. But for those of you that don't, I didn't grow up in a Christian home at first. Uh, matter of fact, my mom was raped when she was 17. Uh, couldn't have an abortion, but she didn't. She had me. I'm a result of that rape. And I'm not here by accident like the pastor was talking about. And you're not here by accident either. And, um, but my mom got married to her boyfriend. She'd been dating for two years. It was not, he's not my biological father. Uh, but she married him. He uh, ran around on her, was an alcoholic, beat her the whole nine yards. So uh, they had my next brother, uh, Alan. So by the time I was three, my mom had had enough of it. She divorced him. We moved back in with my grandparents. Uh, she went to a country and western bar, uh, two-step, and about a year later, met a guy named Jamie. Jamie and my mom got married. Jamie adopted me and my brother, Alan, as his own sons. Uh, but by the time I was eight, there was uh, partying and drinking and threats of divorce and fighting and all that kind of stuff. And so my mom would take us to church about two times a year because that's what my granny told her that she's supposed to do. So we went to church. We were sitting in church at First Baptist Church, Brazoria, Texas one day. And I was sitting there for the first time in my life I heard that God loved me and cared about me, wanted a relationship with me. And right then and there that day, I gave my life to Christ and I was changed. Uh, my mom got saved about the same time I did, either a month before or a month after, right around there. But the very first person I wanted to tell after I gave my life to Christ was my dad. Because I did not want my dad to go to hell. He adopted me, took care of us, and I, I felt such an appreciation and love for him. I didn't want him to go to hell. And I've been telling people about Jesus ever since then. You say, why, why have you been telling people about Jesus ever since then? Because two years later... God orchestrated some events and brought my dad to church with us four Sundays in a row. Four Sunday, my dad gave his life to Christ and was changed. I'm talking the drinking, the smoking, the cussing, stop. Never saw it in the house again. I'm, I'm talking living proof. Our family is walking living proof of peace in our home because of what Jesus did in our family, in our lives. And not only that, two years later, my dad got in the Word, started reading the Bible. Two years later, God called my dad to preach. We sold everything we had, moved to Fort Worth, Texas. My dad went to seminary right here at Southwestern. We became members right here at Southcliff as I was a seventh grader. Brother Paul Burleson was our pastor. James Robinson was my youth pastor. And two years later after that, God gave my dad a church, his first church in Oklahoma. And when my dad was preaching, when I was 14 years old, I started to preach the gospel underneath my dad's ministry. And I've been doing it ever since all over the world. And let me tell you, I'm not talking about just like in churches and stuff. I do all that and do revivals. But we go places where nobody else will go. 
like Bristol Motor Speedway, NASCAR races. And we'll go out there, and I would put a Harley Davidson out there. And they'd come underneath my tent, listen to me preach for 10 minutes. They'd get signed for free to win that Harley. And you'd have Harley Davidson, I mean, uh, NASCAR fans come underneath that tent. Get her done! Get her done! Dragging their, they had them hats on with the beer cans, two beers and both deals, you know, straws coming down. Have their t-shirt off. And they'd have their favorite driver's number painted on their hairy chest, dragging the ice chest full of beer. And they'll come over to that tent. And I start telling them about how Jesus loved them, died on the cross for them. That beer goes from here to down on the ground. And it starts, I start telling them about how he died on the cross, loves and wants to change their life. Tears coming down their face. 750-something NASCAR fans saved in three days. We went from there to Sturgis Bike Week. Three years in a row, we gave away Harley Davidson's at Sturgis Bike Week. In three years, we had over 2,900 bikers give their lives to Christ. Went from there, I went to Calgary Stampede Rodeo. I bought a mechanical bull. I set the bull up. You could ride the bull for free if you listen to us telling you about Jesus. And we had 456 rodeo fans saved in that week in Canada. And I went from there to Africa and Germany and Brazil and Nicaragua and Honduras to our own roping arena in Weatherford, Texas, where I witnessed to one after another, people in my own backyard giving them, telling about Jesus and them getting saved. All the places and all the thousands and thousands of conversations I've had one-on-one -on -one with people from overseas, other countries, to right here in the United States from all walks of life. All these people have the same questions about Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at some of the main questions that I hear that I've conversations I've had with people. And we're going to look at the top ones. So today we're going snorkeling. We're not going scuba diving because we've got a lot of questions to cover. And we're just going to look and see what the Bible has to say about that. What God's Word has to say about these questions that people ask all the time all over the world. And you say, well, Ryan, you say, well, that, that's, I, that's the question I have. You're going to use the Bible? Yes, because here's the deal. My opinion doesn't matter. My opinion has no authority. I'm going to look at what the Bible has to say, what God's Word has to say about this. You say, well, that's, what, that's the question I have. Okay, you're going to use the Bible. How do we know the Bible is true? How do we know the Bible is accurate? Well, first one we're going to look at, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says this. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us to what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The Bible is the Word of God. It is true. It is accurate. It has been backed up, number one, historically. People have said all the time, well, I don't know, it's just a bunch of fables and stories and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if it's true. Archaeologists, my son going to be one of them, Archaeologists have backed up over and over again in the Bible. Hundreds of cities of mentioned in the Bible that critics would say, oh, they don't exist. It's not true. And archaeologists would dig them up from Capernaum to Dan over and over of, of cities in the Bible that's mentioned. Not only that, people in the Bible. Forever, critics said Pilate, who had Jesus executed and crucified on the cross, they said he didn't exist because we have no evidence, no proof except the Bible. Well, they dug up in the 60s two pieces of evidence uh, that Pilate did exist. And so over and over again, what the Bible talks about, it has been proven true over and over again. I'll tell you another way I know the Bible's true. It's because it gave me the experiences it said it would give me. First of all, the Bible says this. In Psalms 103, 12, it says, I would receive forgiveness. The Bible says, he has removed my, our sins as far as the east is from the west. My sins have been forgiven. 
Not only does it say my sins will be forgiven, it says I'll have peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. God has given me peace. Something that all these thousands of conversations of people that I've talked to, they don't have it. I can see it. I've got it. Jesus has given it to me. Another thing it says, says he'll hear my prayers and my prayers will be answered. You say, well, right there. Okay. I got a bone to pick with you on that one because God didn't hear my prayer. He don't answer my prayer. You know why? Because you don't know his phone number. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, the only way that we have access to God is through the blood of Jesus. There is no other way. So if you have never repented and turned from your sins, you don't have access to God. So no wonder your prayers are not being answered and he doesn't hear you. I'll tell you another way that I know the experience that God's given me. It says, I'll have everything I need. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, God will generously provide all you need. Do you know, even from my mother's womb, God has provided everything I've ever needed. And he'll provide for you. You know, another way that Christians know that the Bible's true is because we hear and know his voice. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You say, Ronnie, well, that's all well and good, but that's not even like a tough question. I don't even really care about that. Ronnie, my question is, I got a really tough one for you. So here's what, here's what I got for you, Ronnie. So if God is so good and he's so loving, why does God allow evil and suffering in the world? Y'all ever heard that before? Hey, in all my conversations from all over the world, all walks of life, that is the number one question I get from everyone. If God is so good and loving, why does he allow evil and suffering in the world? Well, first of all this, you need to know all this junk we got going on in the world that you see on TV every single night on the news. Guess what? That's on us. God didn't do that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Hey, let's go back to the beginning. Genesis. What, what, did, what did God say? He created everything and it was what? Good. So then what did he say? He told Adam and Eve, hey, Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in the garden. But you cannot eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You eat of this tree, you will die. He didn't say you're going to get sick. You're going to get the flu. He says you're going to die. All right, so what did Adam and Eve do? As soon as God left, they come strolling by. They get right by the tree. They start listening to Satan. Eve listens to him. She eats from the tree, gives some to Adam. He ate from it, and then boom. They realize they don't clothes on. They will go hide in the garden. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, we just got through reading, from that one action, sin entered into the world. And not only did sin in the world, death, destruction. So all this junk that you see in the world, that's on us. That's not on God. All right, so when you say, well, why God create evil and all that, that's on us. All right, now, so what, what took place there? You said, well, Ronnie, I, I, okay, I want to know about that first part, though, about, about the evil. It, why did God create evil to begin with then? What, 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 why did he allow it? Not create it, why did he allow it? Why did he allow evil? So you want God to stop evil, right? You want God to stop all this evil going on in the world. Okay, so if you want God to do that, here's what he's going to have to do. He's going to have to stop all evil. He's going to have to stop the murderer, the thief, the one with hatred in his heart, the adulterer. He's going to have to stop the gossip. He's going to have to stop it all. 
Now, here's the deal. If God stopped all evil, because he can do that if he wants to. If he did that, guess what that would do? That would take away your free will. So you would become a robot. So you'd have no choice. You have to serve God. You have to do good. You can't do bad. What kind of relationship is that? God didn't, he didn't want that kind of relationship. God loves you, created you for a love relationship with him. And just like you don't want somebody to force you to marry somebody and, and be with them the whole, you want to choose. That's what God, God loved you so much, he wanted you to choose because he cares about you, loves you. So here's the deal though. You want him to stop all evil, you better be careful for what you're asking for. Because here's the deal. What do you want him to do with you? No, you want him to stop all evil. So here's a question. So what did God do about evil? Well, Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Do you know what? God loves you so much, he wants to rescue you from this evil world. He doesn't want you to have to go through this junk and this pain and this hurt and this suffering. He loves you cares about you. That's why he sent his son Jesus down the cross for you. You say, okay, Ronnie, forget about the evil though. Uh, what I want to know is that second part of that question. If God's so good, then why does he allow suffering? All right, here's the deal. Let's get to what you really want to know. Because what you really want to know is, hey, Ronnie, if God's so good, why'd he let this bad stuff happen to me? Or why did he let this bad stuff happen to my family? That's what you really want to know. And here's the deal. If you're hurting right now, if you're suffering, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for what you're going through. I'm sorry for the pain in your life. Because, hey, we, we know. We, we've gone through hurt. We've gone through suffering. We've gone through pain. It's not fun. And I'm sorry. Because, listen, there's some stuff in this world that just don't make sense. I mean, somebody we love dies. Uh, our parents get a divorce. Uh, somebody that we love gets cancer. Uh, a child born with a, a deformity or disability. There, there's stuff that just doesn't make any sense. Now, somebody robs a bank, they get shot. Or they get thrown in jail as a result of that, go to prison their whole life, that makes sense. But a family, a Christian family, on the way to church on a Sunday morning, gets hit by a drunk driver and he kills the entire family, that don't make sense. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, don't be surprised at the trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. In other words, the Bible's saying, hey, don't be surprised you're going to go through this stuff, through this suffering and this pain. It's, it's going to happen. Hey, our son, Jake, when he was, he was what, 12? Was he 12? When Jake was 12, wanted to be a bull rider. Okay, so we were already doing the roping and stuff, you know, and calf roping, team roping, all that. He wanted to be a bull rider too. And so 
Now, before y'all get all crazy and start calling CPS on us and stuff like that, trying to get us thrown in jail, let me let, me, let me ask y'all understand something. This isn't no PBR 2,500-pound bull that we're putting our 12-year-old son on, okay? This is a steer. This is a little bitch's rodeo. It's a steer. He's got horns, just like hops a little bit. If he falls off, he might sprain a wrist. That's about it. It's not serious, okay? So I wanted my not, you know, I want him like, hey, I, I don't want to do this. So my wife's, you know, freaking out about it. I'm like, honey, I got it. I got it. So I, I take him to a bull riding coach. All right, we're at this bull riding coach. First thing he does, he, he doesn't talk to my son, doesn't say nothing to my son, looks straight at my wife. And this is what he says to her. He says, ma'am, it's not a question of if your son's going to get hurt, it's when and how bad? My wife starts freaking out. Oh, don't hurt my baby. Don't hurt my baby. I'm like, honey, I got it. Don't worry about it. I got it. Take him to his first rodeo, Little Richard's rodeo. He's out there. He, he looks like a professional. He's got the chaps on, got the helmet, got patches on his jacket, flak jacket, all that kind of stuff. So it's a steer. It's no big deal. So he gets on the steer, got a world champion pulling his rope for him, you know, because my son's competing against his son. And so he's on there, he's pulling the rope, gets down there, Jason nods his head, comes out, second and a half, not, not even second and a half, whoop, bucks, boom, there he goes, boom, lands on his tailbone. He's screaming, oh, my tailbone, oh, my tailbone. Paramedics coming out there, you know, with a stretcher and stuff. I'm like, hey, it's okay. I'm like, son, you, you okay, buddy? You all right? Is that my tailbone, my tailbone? I said, come on. So paramedics dragging him out, you know, the arena and stuff, little legs dragging him out. Gets out. I said, son, you okay? You, you tell me. He said, yeah, even the table hurt. I said, all right, suck it up. Come on, you're a bull rider. You got to be tough. So walk it off. Throw some dirt on it. Let's go. You got two more events right now. Come on. So he's like, oh, okay. Goes back up, gets on his horse, ropes and stuff. Next day, bull riding, first event again. I said, let's go. We have to walk from the back of the arena all the way to the, to the front of the arena to ride bulls. He gets louder and louder, starts screaming the closer we get to the chutes. He's like, no, daddy, I'll ride the bull, I'll ride the bull. People can hear it. People all over the stands can hear it. I don't want to ride the bull. I go, no, you ride the bull. You want to be a bull rider. Come on, they're tough. Let's go. Suck it up. So he's going to, the, the, the world champion bull rider, it's like, hey, buddy, it's okay. Well, he's getting in the chute, you know, he's crying, screaming, you know, tears flowing down. Now she doesn't even know what to say. Because everybody in the stands can hear, you know, like, can't say, oh, this is a tough little bull rider. You can't say that. So doesn't know what's going on. He's like, you know, I don't know. It's so the, the world champion's like, hey, buddy, it's okay. You don't have to ride this bull today. You can come over to my house next week, and we'll practice. We'll work. I'm going, boy, be quiet. Yes, he is. He is riding this bull today. So my son's like, I won't ride the bull. I won't ride the bull. I go, no, come on. You said it's a $60 entropy. You riding this bull. Come on, I'm going to pay for it. So he's on the bull. He puts his hand in there. He's like, I won't ride the bull. He's screaming now, screaming, literally. I said, all right, buddy, if you get off this bull, we're done. Bull, we're done riding bulls for the rest of your life. Okay, we're done. We're done. I said, okay, come on, get off. Got off the bull. He was done riding bulls. I said, honey, you're welcome. So here's the deal. It was his idea. Here's the thing. Suffering's like bull riding. It's not a matter of if it's going to come. It's when and how bad. We're all going to go through it. We're all going to suffer. The Bible talks about some reasons why we go through suffering. Now, I, I'm not going to pretend I have all the answers because I don't. But we're going to look at some of the reasons the Bible says we go through suffering. First of all, this, there's common suffering. Look in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. Jesus said this, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Hey, listen, when a tornado 
hits Fort Worth. It doesn't care whether you're an atheist or a Christian. It hits everybody. That's universal suffering. That's common suffering. That's everybody. Okay? But there's also carnal suffering the Bible talks about. In uh, Galatians chapter 6 verse 8, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Now you know what that one is? Here's what this one is. If you have sex before marriage or outside of marriage and you get a sexually transmitted disease, that's on you. Don't be blaming God for something he didn't do. That's your deal, your choice, your decision. So you're going through that suffering because of your sin. That's carnal suffering, okay? But then there's innocent suffering. In Lamentations chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible says this, Our ancestors sinned, and, but they've died, and we're suffering the punishment they deserved. So what was going on was Israel was paying for the sins of their parents. They didn't sin against God. Their parents did. And as a result of their parents' sin, they were being punished for it. They were, they were suffering the consequence of their parents' sin. And we've all gone through that, where we've been hurt by other people's sins. We've been abandoned. We've been rejected. We've been abused by somebody else's sins. And we've gone through that. I was preaching at uh, Copper's Cove, uh, Texas, at Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. We were having a youth night, having pizza and all that kind of stuff. So at the pizza blast, we had three uh, Satan worshipers show up. And so there was a dude, he was probably 17, 18 years old, uh, and then his girlfriend and then, and then her sister. And so they were all dressed in black from head to toe, like ro black robes on stuff, black makeup, black fingernails, pentagrams, the whole nine yards. So the dude was arguing with the teenagers, trying to get a cut, you know, just to stir up stuff. And so his girlfriend and, and her sister were sitting at a table eating pizza by themselves. So nobody was talking to him. Well, I felt sorry for him, bad for him. So I went and sat down to start talking to him. And so I didn't go over there and, you know, get my Bible and hit him over the head. You're going to hell. You know, didn't do anything like that. I just started having a conversation with him. I just sat down and said, hey, what's your names? Where y'all from? <clears throat> what school you go to? Uh, what, what, what's your hobbies? What do you like to do? What do you, you know, just stuff like that. So we talked for like 15 minutes. And um, so they're being, you know, friendly. I'm being friendly and stuff. So I, I said, hey. Can I ask you a question just out of curiosity? And the oldest girl said, sure, go ahead. I said, I'm not trying to get in your business or anything. I said, so if you don't want to tell me, you don't have to. I said, but did something happen bad to you when you were younger and stuff? And she goes, yeah. I said, well, you, you don't have to tell me. That's, that's okay. I was, just, I was curious. She goes, no, no, I'll tell you. I said, well, what's that? She said, um, when I was 10 years old, we were going to the Catholic church and the Catholic priest sexually abused me. And then when my little sister got to be 10, he did the same thing to her. And I just figured if there's a God, forget you. But she didn't use the word forget. And I said to her, I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I'm sorry that happened to you and your sister. Man, I can't, I can't even imagine what you've been through. And I said, that's not fair. It's not right. That dude needs to be thrown in jail, key thrown away. I said, but can I ask you a question? She goes, yeah. I said, do you think that priest just woke up one day, just decided to start sexually abusing little girls? She goes, I don't know. I said, you want me to tell you where it started? She goes, where? 
I said, it started with pornography. He started looking at pornography, and then he started getting more involved in it stuff, more bit hardcore and movies and stuff like that. Then he maybe started acting out with prostitutes or whatever, and then he started acting out on little girls. I said, who do you think's pumping out that pornography, wanting to get that pornography out? I said, do you think God's wanting to get that out there? She goes, no. I said, who do you think's getting it out? Who wants to get it out? I said, Satan does. I said, and the very person that you're worshiping is the one that started this whole stuff to begin with. And it was like a light bulb came onto her. And she's like, I'd never thought about that before. I said, hey, my mom was raped when she was 17. I said, God did not rape my mom. That was my biological father's sin that did that to my mom. I said, but let me tell you what God did. God took this horrible situation and turned it for good. My life verse now is Genesis 50, verse 20, which says, what you intend to harm for me, God intended for the good, for the saving of many souls. I said, so God took some horrible event and turned it for good. And I said, I'm so sorry that you went through that. But here's the thing. There's a bunch of you just like her that you're blaming God for stuff he didn't do. God loves you, cares about you, and wants a relationship with you. But I want you to know this. No matter what you're going through, no matter what suffering you're going through, he says he's always with us. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 says this. It says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. He is always with us. He's always with you. He loves you. Cares about you. You say, but Ronnie, why, why do I need Jesus? I'm a good person. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a similar God. I'm a this. I'm a that. Uh, let's see what Jesus had to say, okay, about that. In John chapter 3, verse 3, this is what Jesus said. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and he didn't say, Nicodemus, uh, you got to be a member of a Baptist church in order to get to heaven. Does it say that in your Bible anywhere? Anybody? Doesn't say that, does it? Does it say in your Bible, hey, Nicodemus, if you want to go to heaven, you got to be a Catholic. Does it say, Nicodemus, if you're going to go to heaven, you got to be a Methodist or you got to be a Luke? No, it doesn't say any of that. It says, Nicodemus, if you want to be born, if you want to go to heaven, you have to be born again. You say, what does it mean to be born again? Here's what it means to be born again. Born again means to acknowledge that you have sinned against a holy, righteous God. And because of our sin, we are separated from him for eternity. But because he's a loving God, he sent his only son, Jesus, out of heaven, down this earth, to die on a cross to pay for every single one of our sins. So we are no longer an enemy of God. We can be his friend and we can have a relationship. And so when we admit that and we repent and turn from our sins and commit our lives to him, he will come into our life and he will, we will be spiritually reborn. We will go from death to life. And if that's never happened to you before, you've never invited Christ to come to your life, to be your boss, your Lord, your Savior. Whether you're watching online or whether you're here in this auditorium, you can do it today, right now. And I'm going to give you an opportunity just a minute to do that. And he'll save you, he'll change your life. And because being a good person 
doesn't get you to heaven. And, and I'll tell you this. Do you, do you realize it's easier for a person in prison to go to heaven than it is somebody here in this church this morning? Did you know that? Hey, I was preaching in a, in a Honduras prison it, to an MS-13 gang. There was about, there was a section of 60 of them in this one, one part of the cell. 60 of them. 40-something of them gave their life to Christ. It's easier for them to go to heaven than those of you that are sitting in this auditorium this morning. You know why? Because they know they're lost. They know they need Jesus. They know they're a sinner. But a bunch of you in here, you think you're going to go to heaven because you're good, because you're religious, because you're a member of a church. No, it's harder for you because you got to get past that. Because that doesn't get you to heaven. I was, uh, I, this pastor a couple months ago took me to a bar. And y'all sitting there going, okay, what's the joke? There's two preachers going to a bar. Blah, blah, blah. No, no, this is a legit deal. This is a real deal. So but let me give you the backstory. So there is a barbecue place in Ohio. And this pastor, he, he loves it. They, they, everybody up there loves it. They think they have good barbecue. They, they don't know. They're, you know, so... So I've, I've got to humor them, you know. And so um, it's like, okay, we'll go. So he said, we got to get there early. So we got there early before it even opened. There was a line. He's not joking. There was, there was a line of people. And so it was going to be like 30 minutes before we even got seated. He said, hey, I think we can go sit in at the bar and we can get our food right now. We can order right now. He said, are you cool with that? I said, yeah, let's go. So the pastor's wife leads the way. All right, so it's the pastor's wife, the pastor, then me, and we go sit at this bar. It's, you know, the straight bar, and it has the, um, it has the um, gold uh, bar at the bottom, you know, you put your feet on, you know. And so it's the pastor's wife, pastor, me, the, the seat I'm about to sit in. There's a guy sitting right here named Jerry, and he's got his foot on the bar halfway over into my space. He's in my, my territory, Okay. And it's a big old boy, got a beard, you know, big old boy. He's sitting there. And so I go sit down. Jerry's right here, and he's kind of all up in my grill, you know, up in here and leaning over, and he's all over the place. Jerry, I'm sitting, he's like, while I'm sitting there, I saw him personally throw down at least six beers, okay? I don't know how many he had before I got there. I'm sure it was several, but I saw him drink six. And so we're sitting there. They got the TV screen up behind the bar, and they got on ESPN, and they're showing the uh, CrossFit training. All right, the pastor, his son-in-law competes in that. And so he's giving me the play-by-play -play on it and all that kind of stuff. So as he's doing that, we're sitting there watching. They're about to do the power clean and jerk, okay? And so they're at 330, 330 pounds right now. So there's a dude about to do it. And as the pastor's commentating and stuff, I just out loud, I'm, me, him, me and the pastor talking. I said, I don't think this dude's going to be able to do it. Pastor said, why not? I said, because he's got skinny legs. And uh, about that time when I said, I don't think he could do it, Jerry, right here, gets over in my space, right here. He's like, right here, looks at me. He's getting this, he goes, you got to believe. <laughs> where, where, where does that come from? <laughs> and so I, I look at him, I kind of do like this, you know. I look at him like, hey, Jerry, dude, I, I believe, let me tell you how I believe it. I believe in Jesus. I don't believe that dude could do it because he got some skinny legs. And so when I said I believe in Jesus, Jerry got this crazy eye look on his eyes. He goes, oh, you believe in Jesus? He said, do you believe in Bigfoot? Now, just so y'all know, that wasn't that random because here's why he said it. At the time, while I was there, they were doing, no joke, a Bigfoot festival. So 
we had just been to the Bigfoot Festival right there before we did. And so I'm talking about they had like six blocks of this, this town locked off because they had Bigfoot tents, people selling stuff, Bigfoot cups and all t-shirts and all kinds of stuff. They had one dude that was selling Sasquatch hair, Bigfoot's hair. And, and I'm talking about sections. Like it was this big. It wasn't like a, like a one little twine of hair. I'm talking about sections like this. He had a whole rack of them. I'm thinking, what, what did they do? Did they catch Bigfoot, tie him up, shave him, and then let him go? If it was me, I'd keep him because that'd be a bigger show, right? Wouldn't it be a bigger show to have Bigfoot instead? Signing autographs or something? I don't know. And so they, they have Bigfoot hair stuff. So Jerry is one of the Bigfoot guys. Uh, he believes in it. I don't know if he's got a TV show or something, but he, he was one of the dudes. And so he says, you believe in Bigfoot? I said, Jerry, I don't believe in Bigfoot, but I believe in Jesus. I said, Jerry, do you believe in Jesus? You know what he said? He said, man, I'm Catholic. He said, I, I believe there's a God. I said, well, good for you, Jerry. I said, you know what the Bible says about that, being a good Catholic? You believe the Bible, right? The Bible says in James 2.19, you believe in one God? Good, the demons of hell believe too, and they tremble. I said, Jerry, Satan knows there's a God. Satan believes in God. Jerry, but there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing him personally. And I said, Jerry, that's what I'm talking about. I said, my son grew up in a preacher's home. I mean, he... He was in the church before the door, you know, when the doors were open every time. Before he was born, that boy was in church. I said, he was there Sunday, Wednesday. He was there all the time. But Jerry, my son didn't inherit that from me. Even though I wanted my son to be saved, I couldn't force him, make him do it. He had to choose it. He had to own it. Kind of like the bull riding thing. He had to own this. It had to be his decision, his choice. I said, Jerry, you got to do the same thing. It's got to be your choice. You got to own it. And there's a bunch of you here today. You've been a good person. You've been religious, but you never owned it. You never made that decision. You need to do that today. You say, but Ronnie, I don't know, man. You don't understand. I've done some bad stuff. And I don't know. I got a question for you, Ronnie. Can God forgive me? See, because some of you, maybe you didn't have an abortion, but maybe you were the boyfriend that paid for your girlfriend to have an abortion. And that's been haunting you your whole life. You say, well, no, I've, I've done some bad stuff and God won't forgive me. You know what me to tell you what the Bible says about that? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Man, God will forgive you. You say, but Ronnie, man, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be some super saint. Hey, that's the whole point. The whole point, none of us are. Not, listen, I'm a preacher. I can't tell you how many mission trips I've done, hundreds of mission trips, how many camps and disciple nows and churches that I've been to. I've been to more churches and more services than any staff member that you have on this place because they go to church one time a week. When I do revivals for the last 36 years, it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, every single deal, 40 weeks a year for 36 years. And I'm going to tell you this, in all my preaching, all the stuff, I flat deserve to go to hell. That's what I deserve because I'm a sinner and I need saving. And you say, but man, <laughs> he won't forgive my sin. Hey, let me ask you a question. Ha have you ever killed a Christian? No, is your sin bad enough that you've killed a Christian? Ha have you ever had Christians thrown in jail? No, you have not. 
Okay, then let me tell you this. Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he not only did he vote to have Christians killed, he went and threw them in jail, he hunted them down, and God saved Paul and forgave him and changed him and used him more than all the other apostles. So if God can do that for Paul, he can do it for you. Please, don't be bringing me this that God can't forgive my sin. He forgives all sin. He loves you and wants a relationship with you. You say, but man, Ronnie, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to change. Let me ask you a question. How's that working for you? Now you say, well, no, I don't, I don't feel like changing. I don't want to change. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 2, verse 5. He says, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Listen, you have no peace. I know. The way I know is because I've talked to thousands of you. That I can look in your eye and you have no peace, no purpose, no meaning. Jesus wants to change your life today. Now you say, no, it's good. My life's good. Hey, let me ask you a question. If it's all good, then you tell me this. Why do you have to, when you come home from work, why do you have to drink some alcohol just to knock the edge off if it's all good in your life? No, if everything's good in your life, then you tell me, why do you have to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week and just to stay busy or to have hobby after hobby after hobby, just to keep yourself busy so you don't have to have time and peace to think about how miserable you are if everything's so good? Now, I want you to know this. Jesus wants to change your life today. And I'm going to give you an opportunity just a minute to do it. I have a truck that's 24 years old. And uh, we're not going to talk about what kind it is because then we're getting debates about Dodge, Chevy, Ford, blah, 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 this and that. So I'm just telling you, I got a truck. It's 24 years old. It's a diesel, three-quarter ton, all right? So I have to have that truck to pull my horse trailer and my four horses when I'm going roping, all right? So I've had it for 24 years. The whole time I've had it, my wife and my son have been like, Especially my son. Like, hey, Dad, we, we, we need to get a new truck. Dad, Dad, you need a new truck. They just kept on and on for 24 years. You know, just, you need a new truck. You need a truck. Now that, and you know it's saying something when your wife says you need a new truck. Okay? So she's not telling them, hey, I need something for me. She's like, hey, no, you need to get a new truck. And I'm like, no, it's good. And then my dad, my own dad starts chiming in. Gets in, son, you, you need a new truck. And, and I'm like, no, Dad, it's paid for. I don't want a truck payment. I'm, I'm liking it. I'm good. It's all right. So right before COVID hit, uh, we were going to a roping 17 hours away, okay, hauling four horses. And, so, and I'm thinking, I don't know if this truck can make it 17 hours. You know what I mean? So I broke down. I got me a new truck, okay? I went from 220 horsepower to 440 horsepower, one ton diesel. That sucker, I can load that horse trailer down. I can pull it up a mountain into the wind, passing people at 75 miles an hour and not even know it's back there kind of power. That's what I'm talking about. My other truck, I was getting passed by senior adults <laughs> on the way to the nursing home type of deal. Do y'all understand what I'm talking about? Y'all have no idea. Did y'all know these new trucks? They got like computers in them and like video screens and stuff. 
they got heated seats. Then you sit in. And, and like, it's unbelievable all the stuff, the trinkets and all that stuff they have in this thing. It blew my mind. I had no idea what I was missing out on. If I'd have known that, I'd have got that truck a long time ago. Man, they even have them now. I'm even thinking about trading it in. Because you know they got one now? 500 horsepower. Amen? Amen, honey? She's like, no, you got your new truck. It's four years old. You're good. Hey, let me tell you something. You know the way I was with my truck? There's a lot of you sitting out there, and you're the same way with Jesus. You have no idea what you're missing out on. All that's happening is you're just getting by in life. You're just plunging through, and you're miserable, don't have any peace, and all this junk and chaos going on in your life, and you have no idea. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's what he wants you to have. And you're settling for some 24-year-old truck. God doesn't want you to do that. God wants you to have peace and purpose and meaning. He wants you to have it today. I wish I'd have done that truck thing sooner. That's the way a lot of you should have been with Jesus. You should have done this thing a whole long time ago because I'm going to tell you something. He wants a relationship with you right now, right here. And if you've never done that before, here's what I'm going to do. Whether you're watching online or whether you're here in this auditorium, if you're willing to admit that you're sinning against God, you're willing to repent and turn from your sin and commit your life to say, hey, I'm all in. He will come into your life. He'll give you peace and purpose and meaning. You say, you're telling me it's going to be all perfect? No, because what, what does the Bible say? We are going to go through some suffering. I'm not pro promising you're going to win the lottery. I'm not promising anything like that. I'm just telling you, he will be with you through all of it and give you peace and purpose and meaning. You say, what do you mean going all in? Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like when you're playing poker, you're sitting there, everybody throws a chip, ante up, getting a game. I'm not talking about throwing a chip to ante up and getting a game. There's a point when you're playing poker. When you've got a hand, it's so good, nobody at the table can beat you. When you get that hand, what do you do? You put them cards down, you get every single chip you have, and you push them to the center of the pot, and you say what? I'm all in. That's what I'm talking about you doing, Jesus. And you've never done that before. You can do it right now. You can experience peace that you've never had. So how? I'm going to pray that prayer. Right where you're seated or watching online, you can pray that prayer with me and invite him into your life. And the way he changed me and my family, he can do the same thing for you. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. And we're just going to pray that prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn from my sins and I invite you into my life to be my boss, Lord, and Savior. And according to what the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, you will be saved. You say, I've never done that before. I've never gone all in. I'm going to give you a chance to do it right now. Can you do me a favor? Can you give me two minutes? I'll, I want anybody to get up, leave. No ushers moving, nobody. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes, please? Just two minutes. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You say, Ronnie, I've never done that before, but I want it. I want peace. I don't have it. I've been thinking this whole time that God's mad at me, doesn't care about me, doesn't love me. I didn't know that he loves me. If that's you and you want a relationship with God, then you pray this prayer right now, right where you're seated. Just pray it silently with me. You pray it to the creator of this universe and you invite him into your life if you've never done this before. Pray this prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I've messed up. And I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. 
And God, I turn from my sins. And I invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, and my best friend. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I don't believe in that. I just want to pray for you. Here's what I want to ask right now. If you prayed that prayer with me for the first time in your life, that you understood what you're doing and you meant business, if you just prayed that prayer with me, would just those of you that prayed that prayer, would you just look up at me right now and let me catch your eyes? Say, Ron, that's me. I just prayed that prayer, and I just invited Jesus to come to my life. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, right there. Yes, sir. Anybody else this section here? Yes, sir, right there. Got you, buddy. Yes, got you right there. Anybody else in this section here? Right here in this section. On the back, okay? On this section here. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else in this section here? You prayed that prayer. Just look up at Yes, sir, right there. In this section over here. Yes, ma'am. Got you. Yes, sir. Anybody else in this section here? Yes, ma'am, right there. Over here in this section. Yes, ma'am, in the back. Over here. This side right here. Just look up. Let me catch your eyes. Over here in this section here then. This far, my left, your right. Yes, sir. Anybody else through here? Yes, sir, right there. Anybody else in this section? Yes, sir. Over here in this section? Yes, sir. Anybody else? Got you, buddy. All right. Got you, yes, ma'am. All right, with just those that prayed that prayer, just keep looking up at me just for a second. I just want to share something with you from God's word. Just those that prayed the prayer. And if you're online and you prayed that prayer, you can just uh, email us, pastor at southcliff.com. Just let us know that you prayed that prayer uh, just now, okay? Those of you that prayed that prayer, man, I'm so excited for your decision. I'm so excited for what, the, what God's doing in your life because I want you to know this. Here's some promises that the Bible says when you repent and turn from your sins, he comes to live in you. And he'll never leave you. The Bible says in Psalms, though your mother, father forsake you, he says, I never will. Listen, there's going to be a lot of people leave us in our life, abandon us, die on us, whatever. He says, but I will never leave you. So when he came into your life today, right now, here's what happened. You became a child of God, his son, his daughter. And, and, and it doesn't change. And not only that, here's the deal. So you, you don't have to roll the dice and go, am I going to get to go to heaven? Uh, I'm hoping. I'm, no, it's a done deal. You get to go because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. You say, okay, so what am I supposed to do now? Jesus said, and this is the one that died on the cross for you. He said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. He said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. He says, if you don't confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father who's in heaven. In other words, it's imperative we take a stand for Christ and we let other people know. We're not to be ashamed of him. Hey, let me tell you something. If my wife would have been ashamed of me when we got married, I wouldn't want to go through with it. I wouldn't want to do it. But she was letting everybody know, hey, this is my husband. I was excited. I want everybody to know who my wife is because I'm proud of her. How much more should we be proud of Jesus who died on the cross for us, gave his life, his blood for us, and we should celebrate and let everybody know that we're a follower of his. You say, well, how do I do that? Here's your first opportunity. Here's what we're going to do. In just a minute, we're going to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this building. When we stand, I'm going to pray. When I pray and I say amen, the band's going to sing. Matter of fact, band, would y'all go ahead and come on up? When I say amen, they sing. All, we're all going to be standing. All of you that prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat. I want you to come forward right down here at the front. There's going to be pastors down here. Matter of fact, pastors, would y'all go ahead and come on up? 
Uh, there's going to be a pastor here, pastor over here, pastors here, here. I'm going to come down here. I'll be down here as well. All of you that, that gave your life to Christ, when we stand, I pray, I say amen. They sing. You step out. You come to one of these men of God here. All you have to say is, hey, I prayed that prayer with Ronnie. He said, what we're going to do? We're just going to introduce you to a person called an encourager. They're going to take you right out the side. They're going to pray with you. They're going to give you some material. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to give you a Bible today because you start a spiritual journey with God. We want to help you grow and get to know him. So we want to celebrate with you. But let me tell you this. If you won't take a stand in here, you're not going to take a stand out there. It starts right here, right now, today. So we stand, I pray, I say amen, they sing, you step out and come. We'll be waiting down here for you. You come to one of us, and we want to celebrate with you. Okay? Cool? Excited for you. Can you do me a favor? Can we all please stand now with heads bowed and eyes closed? By the way, just want you to know, if you've got a family member, friend, you say, hey, would, can they go with me? Yes, they can. Say, hey, would you go with me? They'd be glad to do that. If you don't have anybody, say, ask somebody around you. But we're here for you, okay? So when I say amen, you step out and come. We're waiting here for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all these that trust the Lord and Savior. I pray, God, you give them courage and boldness to take a stand for you. Take away that fear. Give them boldness, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As they sing, you come on.